Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases through the lens of a trained investigator and former prosecutor turned judge. If you are sensitive to expletives, anatomical descriptions, and accurate descriptions of crime scenes, this podcast may not be suitable for you. I'm curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Megan. And Megan, I'm going to shake the raccoon bones yeah, this it's time. it's been a while. I'm going to shake the sack. So All we right. have our Grigri taken care of. We do. And you're bringing us part two I today. I am. I'm back to give you part two. All of you lucky Patreons got to jump right into this. Mm-hmm. And the rest of you will have to wait to hear my sultry voice finish this story <sighs> until next week. I do love it when you bring me cases. It's kind of fun. You just get so excited and happy, too. And she asks such great questions. It's like she's a trained investigator or something. You're too kind. Oh, well, it's true. And and also, I do like to flatter you. (laughs) And flattery will get you everywhere with me. That's right. (laughs) So where we left off with Dustin Honkin was that he just got sold out by his BFF since first grade. Yeah, that one hurt. It did. Right in the feels. Mm -hmm. If you can feel bad for a methamphetamine. The mean dealer mm. who's probably killed multiple people, but whatever. Mm. No, 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 don't, don't. So but I feel bad for the first grade him who's betrayed by, you know, that, that could have been a beautiful lifelong relationship. Yeah, that's true. So here we are then. Let's go back to Mason City, Iowa. There are still missing posters hung for Greg um, Nicholson, if, if you feel bad for Greg. Um, and, and I do, I mean, I do. but I'm not happy with the situation. No, okay? because he got three other innocent. So people. then you have yeah. Amber, Candy and Lori. Okay. And their families are all still desperately looking for them, hoping that they might be alive. And there's a fifth person also who has died, but I'm, I'm going to wait to explain that to you so that you can be surprised later. Okay. So Greg has a family. And even though he wasn't, like, he was kind of a nefarious dude, you know, they're still looking for him. They're worried. Mm -hmm. But Mary Speck, who is um, the Duncan Girls' other grandma, you heard me talk about the one. Yes, So she, this is so sad. She has kept their bedrooms, their dolls, and their little dresses just as they left them. She's waiting for the girls to come back or be found. She just can't bring herself to get rid of yeah. the stuff yeah it's there they still haven't been found she has no closure and some people do that they do i mean they some do. people do that no after judgment. they have closure yes right? so yep. she just can't bring herself to Aww. be rid of their beautiful little things even though investigators were sure that dustin honkin was involved in the disappearances i mean come on the coincidences are, the, the coincidences are too great they they were still no closer to finding any bodies mm. this is where enters a prisoner who we don't know. His name is uh, Robert McNeese. Okay. Mr. McNeese moves into the Benton County Jail. Now, Robert Bobby Gene McNeese. How's it all? Why is it always Robert Bobby? Hold on. I know. On, uh, on last case bo- was Robert yeah, Bobby. Yeah, my too. bonus yep. episode that I did, they had a, there was a, a Rob Bobby. A Rob Bobby. So, Bobby Gene McNeese, uh, he was a Cedar Rapids native and a career criminal. 
So okay. he's doing a life sentence. Mm, so he got nothing to lose, eh? Nothing to lose. A okay. life sentence for intempti- attempting to import $5 million worth of heroin and morphine. Oh, shit. Not a good dude. $5 million worth of that shit? Which, by the way, was something he was attempting to do while he was locked up for a bank robbery. Dang. So he is attempting to import $5 million worth of drugs while he's locked up serving time on a bank robbery. When you say he's a career criminal, you mean career inside the prison too. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Oh, there's more. After that sentence comes down, McNeese gets contacted by a New York mob family to run a Cedar Rapids-based drug trafficking ring, again, while he's in prison. He's getting contacted in the pokey to run a drug ring. And yet we have a hard time, you know, getting a good reference for a sponsor or something like that. It makes me irritated that some people on probation tell me they can't go get a job when clearly there are jobs to be had. I mean, obviously. (laughs) Like, I, you know... Yeah. yeah, some people have a really hard time making connections. This guy's got them all over the place. He does. Just by doing prison time. So McNeese is doing hella business from behind bars. When jail officials caught on to the latest attempt at criminal activity, McNeese decides to cooperate. And in doing so, becomes one of, if not the most prolific snitch in Iowa history. <gasps> Now, there's something to go down in history as. As the most prolific snitch I in Iowa history. I am a prolific snitch. I want to uh, see it on For the state of Iowa. I want to see it on somebody's headstone. Yes. In the summer wow. of 2000, his path would cross with Angela Johnson, the <gasps> oh, love of yes. Dustin Hunkins' life. Dustin's lover. So, acting on a tip that Johnson might have been skipping town, <clears throat> Authorities somehow came up with enough information to indict her for aiding and abetting the murders of Nicholson, Duncan, Candy, Amber, and her ex-boyfriend and dealer-turned-informant, Terry DeGeist, who had also turned up missing. Terry was missing now, too? Yes, ma'am. Okay, I wondered how he was able to have this love affair with Angela while he was still, you know... She broke up with Terry. Okay, Oh, and now we he had to make her. him go gone, too. Well, he is missing. Mm. So they act on a tip that she's going to skip town. I don't know if they had a lot of great information, but they were able to indict her, okay? okay. Honkin's locked up because he's yeah. serving time on the meth stuff. But as we've seen, shit can still happen when you're locked up. Yes. You can still make movements. So law enforcement has enough information to believe Johnson had something to do with the murders, mm-hmm. though Honkin remains their suspected trigger man. But authorities need five things before they can prove their case. A whole hand. The bodies. Yeah. Five bodies. Right. They need those. <sighs> with no criminal history and no time on the inside... Johnson, Angela here, she needed a friend to help help guide her through the finer points of prison. Oh, no. And the guy in the cell next to her, a man named McNeese, needed something, too. Oh, God. Information to shave time off his life sentence and get himself out of trouble. Okay. McNeese, of his own volition, shouts out an introduction through his cell wall, and he and Angela become fast friends passing notes through the food slot in the door. They talked about life in jail and also shared stories about themselves and their childhoods. Both of them had grown up in unstable homes 
Angela came from an extremely religious household. Her grandparents raised her Mm. where they were known to hold her down, waving Bibles over her and speaking to her in tongues Mm -mm. to exercise demons from her Mm -mm. when she was a young girl. Oh, that religious programming. That breaks my heart. She was uh, physically assaulted in the name of religion. She Mm. was she was mentally abused in the name of religion. And this is important for later. Her sister later testifies in court and corroborates all of this. So this isn't just somebody coming up with a good story. Right. And she told it to somebody who she trusted, McNeese, who she she wasn't articulating this to other people. She was telling him about how she grew up. So Johnson, uh, Angela here, is, is reluctant at first to talk about the crimes. But she perked up when McNeese told her he knew a lifer, so somebody else serving a life sentence mm-hmm. who might take the rap for her. The only catch was she would have to share all the intricate details of the killings. So there are inmates with nothing to lose, Charnel, who know they have life sentences that use taking the rap for crimes they didn't commit as currency to make their lives yeah. better in prison. Yeah. And Angela Johnson took this bait, an opportunity to get herself out of lockup and to be free. Okay. And she had a good reason for that, too. And I'll, I'll share it with you in a, in a bit. In notes and recorded conversations, Angela provides details about the murders. She explained how the five people were killed, even down to what they were wearing mm. and where they were killed. Mm. And this story is matching up to what prosecutors had already speculated. Okay. So in ah. the summer of 1993. Which here's is where we started part one. That's right. She and Honkin had borrowed a friend's car to drive around looking for Nicholson. Okay. The dealer that turned informant. Mm-hmm. And in July, they found him at Duncan's home. Mm-hmm. After uh-huh. a few attempts to get him alone, they did try to get him alone places. But Honkin's hearings approaching, the one that he was going to plead guilty to on drug charges on yeah. that July 30th day. They need to get... Nicholson gone. On July 25th, Johnson, Angela, she poses as a lost cosmetic salesperson, like a Mary Kay or an Avon. Oh, gross. And it is. And knocks on the door of the house where they knew Nicholson was staying. And Mrs. Duncan, Miss Duncan opens the home. While she was making a picnic dinner for her children. Correct. Once Johnson, once Angela gets inside, Honkin quickly follows her through the door. He had been like hiding around the corner and quickly comes in the door behind her. This is the day they'd planned that family picnic that you talked about and that little Amber had come home from her friend's house (laughs) in anticipation. I hate everything about this. I know, I know. And so I think I'll trigger alert you now. Okay. Um, So their plan was to force Nicholson to make a video statement exonerating Honkin. Okay. Which they did. Yeah. But the plot went sideways fast. They did get the video, as you recall. Yep. Angela Johnson helps bind the two adults gagging them so Lori and and Nicholson gagging them with a pair of small green socks that belonged to the girls oh then she took the two kids upstairs and told them to pack a few bags because they were going on a surprise trip I know your face right now and it breaks my heart too okay these girls I'm sure these little girls are scared because you know that they're reading off of mom and new friends they're feeling all that energy they know they're in in danger so after this, they forced the whole family, and I'll just refer to Nicholson as part of the family. He's living there mm-hmm. <clears throat> at gunpoint into their car. Johnson and Honkin drive 10 minutes from Duncan's home to 
a hidden wooded area outside Mason City. It's rural. It's amazing to me that nobody saw them getting in the car in that neighborhood. I know. I know. Bound and gagged, Duncan must have realized on that drive that her little girls were going to die, and she can't do one thing about it. That's what the attorney, uh, prosecutor C.J. Williams, said at the trial later. When they arrived at the location, Dustin walked the two adults into the woods first, per Angela's testimony, and then she heard shots. This is what she tells McNeese. Quote, unquote. Then he came back and got the children, and she said she heard more shots. Mm -hmm. This is what McNeese is saying. They were buried where they fell in an already dug shallow grave. All over fucking meth. <coughs> like, that's what these two little girls all lost to keep their him, life. All to keep him out from having to plead guilty to a federal meth charge. Yeah. That's why that's they lost it. their lives. And you know what? No, this sounds shitty, but kill the fucking informants then. Yeah. It doesn't make me feel good. We'd still cover the case because he's of a course, murderer. Of course. But, but those the kids, little girls and that woman. They had nothing to do with a this. A military veteran who only cared about her, her country, her family, her kids, and other people. Yep. And this is what they got. Yep. And had a big heart and allowed a, a Trusting guy to move, someone right. to move in who had a history with drugs. And Ugh. you just never know enough. No. Nope. You just never know no. enough. So a few weeks later, Johnson then meets DeGeis. The drug dealer that was working for Honkin that she was dating prior to her leaving Dustin. Mm-hmm. She meets him at a country club, telling him that she wants to get back together I with him. I figured that's how this went down. And they drive to an abandoned house where Honkin was waiting, and he then beats, shoots, and buries DeGeis close to where the other bodies were. Oh, really? They were found very close together. Okay. Within within miles in a field. He, he was. Wow. DeGeis was. So... He is getting rid of at that period in time, and we didn't even know DeGeis is missing. Like, people probably know he's missing, but he's not as missed as this young family right, is. Right, of and, course. And Nicholson. DeGeis is a little bit shadier. He was involved with Angela when she left him for the kingpin. So she said she had helped him kill these people, and she had always helped him get whatever he needed. McNeese is still testifying, the snitch. Johnson then draws McNeese maps to the grave sites, which she tucks into a book in the jail library. This is how you exchange Mm -hmm. information Mm -hmm. in prison and jail. And the snitch, McNeese, finds the correct books from the jail library and hands them directly over to law enforcement. Authorities were able to use sonar technology, sonar to to find bones and remains, and train dogs to dredge the area indicated on the map, but it still took them three days to locate and excavate Nicholson, Duncan, Candy, and Amber. They had to remove tires, roots, and a possum's burrow to get to the bodies. Oh, my gosh. Well, it had been eight years, right? Seven. Seven years at this point in time. Ahead. Wow. So continuing to the trigger alert if this stuff bothers you. It's not actually super graphic, but it may bother you. They had all been shot at least once, at least once at close range, execution style in the back of the head. Mm. Greg, Lori, and her daughters had all been shot at least once, again, at close range, execution style. Candy and Amber each had a single bullet wound in the back of their heads. On the other hand, Greg and Lori had been bound gagged and there were multiple gunshot wounds. So that's why I say at least one Mm. execution style. The little girls just were the one in the back of the head and the other two had been shot multiple times. That to me tells me that he had a harder time killing the girls than he did the adults. Perhaps. That's not redeeming, but I think most people probably would. If you're a murderer, it's a little bit harder Mm -hmm. perhaps to to shoot and kill small children. It's just like... 
it was overkill. Uh, truly, I truly, know. Megan, it's overkill to it shoot is. a human in the head and then shoot them again. Yep. So investigators and forensics were able to determine, hold your heart. Okay. Amber was still wearing her little swimsuit oh. with her t-shirt pulled over her face. And Candy was still wearing her favorite sundress from that morning. Oh. So they, they, they knew they had the right The right babies. people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because grandma had already told them what she, the, you they, know, knew what they were wearing very that clearly, day. Very clearly what mm-hmm. they were wearing. The body of DeGeist, Terry, um, who had quote unquote died hard, according to one investigator, was found nearby. Now, in the interest of Terry DeGeist, who is a victim too, even though he was yes. a nefarious dude. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. I think yeah. he deserves, he has family out there. They deserve to have his story told too. And f- for sure. And whatever decisions he made were his to make that, you know, led him down the path that he did. But I'm sure he justified it in his mind for survival and all other various things. You and know? at this point, we don't have any evidence. I don't believe that he was actually going to narc or to turn, but they wanted him gone. Dustin's getting, Honkin's getting rid of anybody he thinks who's an informant too bad he didn't get rid of cut cop because that's you really got him in trouble later yeah um but he's a- and of course let's think about the romantic part of this jealousy wise he Absolutely. wants to be you know yep. get rid of the girlfriend's ex mm-hmm. terry scott degeist was born to edward and joanne degeist in charles city in floyd county iowa on november 19th 1960 he graduated from west hancock high school in 1980 and here's why i want to tell you about him he wasn't always a bad dude he was a record holder in pole vaulting who enjoyed also uh, being a wrestling team member. He played pool. He hung out with friends. And he did spend a lot of quality time with his children. He was a dad. Wow. He That's where I'm th- I just got this feeling of like the survival. I imagine yep. he went down this path of I can provide my kids a yep. better life. Yeah. He worked for Holland Construction in Forest City and later drove a semi for Schmidt Trucking of Brit, okay. which is remember where Honkin is from originally. Yep. Terry also drove a truck for Bud Rankin and Bud Schroeder on uh, mm-hmm. November 5th of 1993. He dropped off his daughter, Ashley DeGeist Henkin, not Honkin, mm-hmm. then 10 years old, at her mom's home, home and told her he would come pick her up shortly afterward. Moreover, he informed his mother that he was meeting his former girlfriend, Angela Johnson. Oh. He never returned. And then his body was found seven years later in the field outside Mason City in the year 2000, lying face down in a shallow hole with a severely fragmented skull having been shot more than one time. Mm-hmm. Did mom ever tell the police? Yes. Okay. So this is how they get enough information when they find out that Angela Johnson is potentially going to leave town to indict her. She's okay. the last person to see Terry alive. Yeah. And uh, I mean, from from mom. So it may not they may have been sitting on the information for a while. Yeah. But when enforcement officers found out she was going to skip. Yeah. They they okay. indicted her on this. So, yeah, mom, DeGeist's family was was concerned and, and all over. And again, didn't necessarily maybe get as much public sympathy as the little girls yeah. as Candy and Amber. Of and, course. And, and Lori. Right. But but still a life lost. Exactly. Well. When news of the children's death, so they have found the bodies now. Yeah. When this hits the airwaves, Angela Johnson tears a bed sheet, ties it to a railing, and tries to hang herself. Really? In jail. Unsuccessfully. Not because of guilt, Charnel, but because this is where she realized she's been snitched on. For sure. And realizes the yeah. plot. Yeah. And oh man, now I got murder charges coming oh, up. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to talk to you about the trial. Okay. At... 
Dustin Honkins murder trial then. So he's charged, obviously. Yeah. She's charged. He's already in prison, but he's charged as well. In September of 2004, he is bolted to the defense table and wearing a stun belt, being deemed that dangerous by the judge hearing the case. Seriously? So Does they this happen a lot? Not often. In the time that I have worked here, we have had a number of cases where the individual has had to wear a stun belt below their clothing, and it is not visible, and there's an officer there holding this the device. remote control you to got the it. stun belt. Yes. In <gasps> his case, one. so the judge here, who's a retired federal judge, Mark Bennett now, um, he is actually the current director of the Institute for Justice Reform and Innovation at Drake University Law School in Des Moines, Iowa. Okay. He talks a lot about things, and I'll just talk to you about him a little bit now, including his disdain for the death penalty. He feels like judges really should never want the death penalty, shouldn't maybe have an opinion on it, but he also understands and agrees with the rule of law. He does refer to Dustin Honkin as the most evil person he ever met in his life. The man killed five people, and then it was appropriate that he be executed. Mm-hmm. He did also indicate, and, and, and we'll get to this in a little bit, but if the crime wouldn't have included children, then he's not sure that they would have been requesting the death penalty, and he's a little uncomfortable with it. He's not a death penalty guy. He does, though, talk about Um, They asked him about whether he felt safe. So the judge says he did feel safe during the trial because of the U.S. Marshal protection he had. He had extraordinary security. But this was a dangerous and violent crime. He says, I deemed Dustin Honkins so dangerous that I ordered that he could be bolted to the floor. He was there before a jury, and they legit bolted him and used special tape so chains and bolts would not make noise because those things make noise when they rub together. Yeah. So they're making him soundproof as he's sitting there. There's special skirts made for the tables. You've seen tables, right, in in there before. Yep. Made special skirts for the tables so that no one could see under it because he's sitting there in a suit. So, again, he's deemed so dangerous he's wearing a stun vest and a U.S. Marshal had a control device with which to shock him should he need to. Okay. And I want to insert something here. I think that it's appropriate because I was going to ask, how do we have, how do we not influence the jury, right? Yep. By having him bolted to the floor and this vest with this remote control, how do we allow him a fair trial when Obviously, the people representing him and in the courtroom feel he's such a danger that those measures were taken. So I like that it was hidden. It was not knowledge to the jury. It was. It had to have been. It would have been potential grounds for a mistrial or for a reversal on appeal. Um, They made sure that the chains were long enough that he could stand and interact and uh, that they couldn't see anything. And, of course, he's dressed in in nice clothing, which often happens. When I have somebody who's incarcerated and they're going to um, stand on trial when the jury's in there, they get to change into their street clothes um, or something professional looking. Yeah, yeah, good. Because psychologically, putting them in their orange Orange suit and all that stuff, yes, it solidifies into the mind that they're a criminal, right? And they're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. It does. So, okay, I I like that. I wanted to just point that out. So Judge Bennett, he gets um, 
Well, he's deemed dangerous at this point because just so you know, this is Dustin, interesting. Like, was Ted Bundy bolted to the floor? Possibly, probably. There's some things you just don't usually find out, but this was a more recent case. Yeah. And part of the reason it's more recent is because we're going to talk to you about some death penalty issues that come up. And those are, are recent events and, and recent executions that have happened. Mm-hmm. And this judge wants to make sure that everybody's aware. I mean, Honkin was charged with 17 federal offenses, felonies, ranging from witness tampering to murder. Mm-hmm. Okay? Damn. The, US the whole gauntlet. <laughs> the whole gauntlet. The whole gauntlet. And Judge Bennett, he's getting round-the-clock protection. Authorities are afraid Honkin might try to escape. He's already threatened to kill um, investigators. Right. And, and you got to remember, this is a drug case, too. Not only uh, murder, dangerous but murder it's with drugs. Right, yeah. exactly. So they don't know the depths of his contacts. Nope. So they're afraid he might even try to escape or harm jurors sure. or their families. Sure. And one of the things that he, um, the, the judge here does is he seals the jurors identities Good. and has them picked up at a secret location before busing them to the courthouse with armed security good so okay. they're protecting them i believe things are later unsealed but at least while this is happening they're sealed uh, for for their protection mm. so as honkin has been um had been as head of his drug empire he's detail oriented thoughtful sure cool under pressure his yeah. attorney, Alfredo Parrish, who had worked on his 1996 drug case as well as the new murder uh, trial, said Dustin was very involved in the factual analysis of this case. He was perhaps one of the most inquisitive clients that I ever had. This wow. guy is smart now. Yeah. He's a criminal mastermind and a sociopath, perfectly capable and competent of assisting his defense. The trial lasted almost two months with a jury consisting of 10 women and two men being presented with more than 300 pieces of, pieces of evidence and hearing testimony from 65 different witnesses. Wow. Along with all the information they had already collected, the state, um, or the feds, y- people refer to you as the state, right? The witnesses. Uh, right, right. The prosecution paraded in a band of, <laughs> as they define them, prisoners, cutthroats, and hog thieves. <laughs> That hog thieves? Hog thieves. Pig thieves. Listen, here's why. Honkin had met these people at a handful of correctional facilities that he had been in. Dustin did. Each one of these unsavory characters characters asserted that Honkin had made incriminating statements about the 1993 murders to them. Yeah. With one inmate claiming Honkin said he killed rats and children raised by rats. Oh, my God. Yeah. And those children were not raised by Greg Nicholson. No, but he didn't know. I mean, he's he's trying to justify I mean, it had shit. been, what, months? Yep. He had only lived there for a few months? He had. So I'm going to tell you about these inmates. So one inmate was also a murderer. His name was Fred Tokars. He testified that in 1998, Honkin described, described to him strangling Lori Duncan and Greg Nicholson and killing the children because, quote, unquote, they could have been witnesses. It's a little bit weird because I hadn't heard much about strangling. They were shot. Yeah. So that that's interesting. Yeah. Inmate Ron McIntosh, whose convictions included air piracy, said... Air hon- piracy. Haven't heard that one in a while. Yeah. Said Honkin told him the kids were murdered because they wouldn't be quiet or they wouldn't shut up. Oh. 
Dennis because uh, they're scared because they're babies. Dennis Putzier, a criminal with a penchant for crack smoking and swine stealing. You swine stealer! He's a, he's Listen, a, he's as a, a pig farmer's daughter, hog I take that very seriously. You should. That's ridiculous. It's thousands of dollars it in potential is. income. He strikes up a conversation through cell blocks with Honkin in 1996 and said that Honkin bragged that in 1993 some people disappeared and that he drove out in the country and shot them. People so just can't help themselves, huh? They just have to Jail, run their jaws. Jailhouse bragging is doing Dustin Honkin in because it's mm-hmm. just corroborating evidence. Mm. And presumably, Tokar's Macintosh and Putzier, Putzier, however you say I his like name. I like Putzier. Putzier. Poonani over here. Is he the one that steals the swine? Yeah, he's the swine stealer. Of course he is. Of course he is. They aren't having contact. So this is information coming from him. And it's not 100% consistent. So I'm I'm liking the accuracy here. He's saying different things to different people. Yeah. And you know what? This reminds me both of his father and just how our egos can destroy us. You got it. So during cross-examination, though, the defense attorneys here perish he questioned why a smart man like Honkin would confide in a couple crackheads that steal hogs for a living <laughs> and called them, them, people who have no future. <laughs> now, he's Stop doing, Parrish is doing his job, though. He's yes, trying, trying I get to, it. He's poking holes in the state's allegations by pointing to a lack of DNA or other yeah. physical evidence linking sure. Honkin to the scene or the bodies. You have no future, you swine stealer. You swine stealing drug user who's in here for similar crimes to wow. my client. To what your client is. Okay. Okay. It yeah. happens. You gotta come up with a defense. And oh, for and, sure. and he, there is some lacking of physical evidence I DNA here. This is good. I get he that. counters the state's painting of Honkin as a cold blooded killer, telling jurors he was just a young man infatuated with drug manufacturing, basically a nerd. He paints the picture. He's just this brilliant Walter White-style nerdy chemist. He's not a murderer. Not a murderer. He's no. just a nerd. No. But the jury was was not enamored by this argument. There were 10 women. I mean, come on, mm. ladies. And they find him guilty on all 17 counts. Good. They sentenced him to death specifically for the brutality and senseless killing of the children so out of the 17 he sentences he received two death sentences okay there were some other life sentences handed down and anything i think ranging from the witness tampering things like five ten years all the way up through but he does get two death sentences we're not going to kill you once but kill you twice it's important we're going to kill you bring you back and kill you again right oh god in a medieval times that would be an interesting well think about the people who uh, were hung for uh, so that's their capital punishment, but then they survived the yeah. hanging. Yeah, Anne you, Green. Do you get remember to, the Anne Green yeah. case? Do you get to hang her again? Because you already done it once. Right. Not if she's only convicted once of one life sentence. Right. But if she's that's convicted my, of twice, my argument. Yeah. If I can survive lethal injection. Yes. I I done got my death penalty. That's right. You, you already killed me. One of these days, a zombie's gonna <laughs> it's gonna happen. <laughs> All right. So while Attorney Parrish. Um, this is the defense attorney. He did not keep in contact with Honkin in the years since his conviction. Okay, he was okay. Con- convicted back at, at that point. He did state he thought it was unfortunate that the boy from Iowa chose this path. Basically, he didn't use his chemistry bil- brilliance for good, but instead evil. Um, sorry, I'm having like allergy. I need a Kleenex. Um, he was shackled, but not beaten down in uh, 2005 when he was sentenced. So Honkin says at his sentencing. And delivers, by the way, a statement so articulate and expressive that even the victim's families noted how good it was. Oh, gosh. 
He said that he recognized they had suffered a senseless destruction of human life in losing their loved ones, but Honkin also declared that their vengeance toward me is misguided. He turned to his mother and apologized, saying, Were I as a perennial, I would bloom for you next year so that you could smile. My God, now he's a poet. Honkin has rarely spoken publicly since his sentencing in fall of 2005, but he has maintained his innocence. This is one of those death penalty cases that is going to bother you a bit. Mm. So during the time he's been sitting on death row, many in the religious community have expressed opposition to executing Honkin, including his previous spiritual advisor, Cardinal Joseph Tobin, and his current priest, Father Mark O'Keefe, who actually filed an injunction to delay the proceeding until after the COVID-19 crisis. Okay. So there were blogs reported that have since been removed. Um, and so I can't fact check them now, but they would chronicle death row inmates' lives, and Honkin specifically contributed to this blog. He allegedly wrote in this blog that he regretted his every single transgression, adding that while he used to enjoy punishing a rival, he now just wants to be left alone in peace. When these people finally get around to killing me, he wrote, they'll realize I'm only, only the shell of me remains and the heart of me died long ago, as if this makes the victims feel any better. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going to talk to you about the case a little bit more in detail now, because I want you to have some specific timeline detail here as we go through this. It's important that you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in 2001, this is, if you re- recall back, the indictments that charge Honkin and Angela Johnson with federal murder. Uh-huh. So then in April, the judge I was talking about, U.S. District Judge Mark Bennett, he rules that any evidence found as a result of the informant's maps is inadmissible against Angela Johnson. So she's on trial, too. But it's not admissible for her because she was the informant? He cited originally that McNeese, the snitch, was being used as a government agent, kind of like an entrapment. Yeah. So in 2003, in February, federal prosecutors argue that McNeese, that informant that Angela told everything to, was not a government agent when he obtained the maps. Yeah. He turns, he's doing all of this to get his ass out of trouble, and it worked. Right. He did get a sentence reduction. Okay. But he wasn't working for them at that time. He just had it in his mind that I'm going to get this information and then flip it. Yes. Okay. Not necessarily important to the case, but I want you to know, <clears throat> a federal judge also denied a request to release the remains of the five victims, ruling that the bodies were key evidence in February as well. So the families are wanting them released, but they're not because the, of the evidence. Okay. Piece. So in December then of that of 2003, the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals overruled Judge Bennett and ruled that the prosecutors could use the maps and information from the informant as evidence. Okay. So those could come in then to Angela's trial. Okay. And I'm not going through Angela's like I did Dustin. I'm bringing up the finer points, and there's a good reason why. Okay. In 2004, in June, this is when the remains of the victims were finally released to the families. In July, there were funeral services for Lori Duncan and her daughters held in Mason City. Brings us to October of 04. This is when Honkin is convicted of 17 charges related to the five murders, which brought us to the close of his case, with the exception of appeals. Mm-hmm. 2005, in May, a federal jury finds Angela Johnson guilty of helping Honkin kill five people. 
This jury, a different jury, mm-hmm. delibera- deliberated for seven hours before finding Angela Johnson guilty of five counts of conspiracy to commit murder as part of a drug conspiracy and five counts of committing murder while engaged in a continuing criminal enterprise. In June, a jury found Johnson is eligible to receive the death penalty for her role in the murders on four counts of the five, by the way, which was interesting because Honkin only received two death sentences for the kids. Yeah. But remember, these are different juries. Yeah. In October... Honkin was sentenced to the death, to death for the murders. You know, at his sentencing, he said also things like, I've committed wrongs, both known and unknown, but never have I taken another's life. Thought it, yes. Verbalized it, yes. Done it, no. A few months later, then in December, Johnson, Angela, is sen- sentenced to death for her role in the murders. Okay. So Dustin appeals his case, raising dozens of objections and arguing that his sentences should be overturned. Angela's attorneys appeal as well. In 2012, in March, Judge Bennett, who we have heard quite a bit about, he does overturn Angela Johnson's death sentence, saying Johnson's lawyers failed to present evidence about her brain and personality impairments that could have been mitigating factors. So this is the stuff that would come up during the trial, would come up during the sentencing phase. Really? So he orders a new sentencing hearing. Okay. I'm going to explain some more. 2013 in October, U.S. District Judge Linda Reed, she upheld Dustin Honkin's death sentences. She wrote that he received a fair trial in 2004 and effective legal counsel at every step of the process, so she saw no reason, quote-unquote, to disturb the jury's determination that death is the appropriate punishment in this case. Then in 2014, prosecutors finally, they do drop their pursuit of the death penalty in Johnson's case. Okay. So they've ruled that she needs to be resentenced. They are. They decide they're no longer going to seek the death, seek the death penalty, leaving her to be sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So just in terms of giving all the information, because I don't want to give you less on Angela, Angela Johnson was the first woman sentenced to death by a United States federal jury since the 1950s. Wow. 49 women have been executed under state state laws since 1900. Yeah. 1900. Johnson originated from Forest City, Iowa. Iowa is one of the 14 U.S. states without a capital punishment law. The jury that convicted her also handed down four death sentences, and that presiding judge, who I've talked to you about, stated... I am troubled by the lack of certainty in the record concerning the precise involvement of Angela Johnson in these crimes. I get that. Yeah. And I think it may come up later. If not, I'm just going to tell you now. One of the things that was disclosed potentially during her jailhouse confessions was that Honkin was threatening her and threatened to kill her, that she was expendable to him. Under federal law, the judge is bound by the jury's verdict. In July of 2007, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit upheld the conviction, finding sufficient evidence to conclude that she had participated in the murders. Of course, Dustin Honkins, currently on death row, also convicted. And even though it was Honkin, Dustin there, who actually pulled the trigger, killing three adults and two children, remember, this judge is upset because she gets the death penalty for four of the victims, and Honkin only gets two, and he's the trigger man. Right, right. So the Court of Appeals describes her participation like this. The killings resulted from her substantial participation in the murders, namely that she procured the murder weapon, 
participated in the hunt for Nicholson, mm-hmm. employed a ruse so that she and Honkin could gain entry into the Duncan residence, yes. bound and gagged at least one of the victims, yeah. and exploited her relationship with the Geist to lure him to the remote location where he was killed. Right. She was an active participant. She was. But there was all this other stuff going on. And Johnson, so Angela does have a child from a previous marriage. Okay is also pregnant by Dustin Honkin at the time of the murders Shut and when she up. went to prison. <laughs> so stop it. He's banging mommy and daughter? No, the J- Dustin oh, Honkin had An- Angela. Angela pregnant. was pregnant. Sorry, I said that wrong. She I had was a like, child what? from a me- that was written poorly. Let me I've rephrase. I've done that before too, don't worry. Angela Johnson, who had one previous child from another marriage, was also currently pregnant by okay. Dustin Honkin at Got the time ya. of the murder. Oh, no. So she's being held uh, at that point in time at the Federal Correctional Institution in Waseca. On March 23rd of 2012, this is when Federal Judge Mark Bennett vacates her death sentence, cites... A failure to introduce evidence about her mental state was an alarmingly dysfunctional move by the defense team. So okay. he effectively found that there was ineffective assistance of counsel. Yeah. And he did say later in an interview that I read, um, or I'm sorry, that I listened to, he actually described that her defense team was competent. Like, he's not saying they're incompetent yeah. lawyers, but the fact that they didn't bring up that stuff just made him feel very uncomfortable proceeding with, with the, the death, death penalty. penalty. I get that. So okay. the vacating of her death sentence did not affect her convictions. However, he did say that there was more than enough. So even though he deemed, my note here says, ineffective assistance of counsel because there was issues about her neuropsychology and an organic brain sis- syndrome. Okay. And that he believed it was appropriate to resentence her and set aside the penalty phase. He did say there was zero issue in his determination that the, d- the jury was right in finding her guilty of the crimes. Sure. She insists that she did not tell in that phase. Um, in that phase, she insists she didn't tell previously because he had threatened her life. Mm-hmm. Johnson then is resentenced to life without parole on December in December of 2014. Okay. All right. In 2019, in July, the U.S. Department of Justice announces the Bureau of Prisons, Prisons has completed a review of capital punishment and issues surrounding lethal injection drugs, mm-hmm. allowing the executions of five inmates that were to include Honkin to proceed. So they've had a stay on federal executions for quite a period of time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you had read any of that, but there were Mm -hmm. issues regarding lethal injections. In November of 19, District Judge Tanya Chukan of Washington, D.C., blocked the execution of Honkin and another another, uh, three men, I believe, because the lethal injection procedure was not, quote unquote, authorized by federal law as legal challenges were continuing to play out. In 2020, January... We're getting into the height of COVID. Yeah. Honkin was originally scheduled to be executed on January 15th in Terre Haute, Indiana, but it was postponed because of that preliminary injunction by uh, that particular judge. On July 13th of 2020, Attorney General William P. Barr directed the Federal Bureau of Prisons to schedule the executions of the four men according to a news release from the U.S. DOJ, Department of Justice. The same judge, District Judge Tanya Chutkan of Washington, D.C., issued a preliminary injunction and blocked the execution of the other three men. Finally, at 2 a.m., the Supreme Court ruled federal executions could resume. 
Yes. Okay. So this yes. is I remember that in the mess. news. Yep. Yes. In fact, um, the judge here, the federal judge here, um, he said, uh, Mark Bennett, said that he was actually going, planned originally to attend the execution, the federal execution of Honkin. He felt like, I really kind of like this guy. I mean, I agree with everything that he says or even some of his rulings. Um, we Good judges get overturned on things too, trust me. Yeah. Um, he thought that he had an obligation if somebody sentenced to death under his watch, which doesn't happen very often anymore, he was going to go watch it. Um, this was going to be at Terre Haute, but he oh. didn't end up going because uh, he's an older gentleman. This is at the height of COVID. And he oh. said, I didn't want to risk COVID and be Honkin's sixth victim. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to say yeah. it. I, I oh had to get it God. out there. Yeah, I like that. All right. <sighs> In a press release on Friday, July 17th of 2020, in a statement by Department of Justice spokesperson Carrie Kupak, she stated, Today, Dustin Lee Honkin was executed at USP Terre Haute, Terre Haute, in accordance with the death sentence imposed by a federal district court in 2004. So from 2004 to 2020, Honkin was pronounced dead at 4.36 p.m., and that was Eastern time, I believe, so it was probably 3.36 their time, by the Vigo County Coroner. So nearly three decades after Honkin has coldly ended the lives of five people, including those two young girls, all in an effort to protect himself and his criminal enterprise, he finally gets to face justice on that date. The death penalty, as we had stated before, had been upheld by the federal courts, supported on a bipartisan basis by presidents and members of Congress, and approved by Attorney General under both Democratic and Republican administrations as the appropriate sentence for the most egregious federal crimes. And she said, today, that just punishment has been carried out. Mm -hmm. Honkin's last words. Hmm. Starting just minutes after its scheduled time, Honkin recited Jesuit priest Gerard Manley Hopkins' poem, Heaven Haven before saying a Hail Mary, though he tagged on an additional line, Hail Mary, Mother of God, pray for me. Families for two of Honkin's victims provided public statements differing in tone and length, but each rife with emotion. The family of Terry DeGuy said attending Friday's execution was the least they can do. The reason for us being present today was not to watch a man die. It was to show love, support, and respect to my daughter's father, Terry. Mm. Read the short letter that we loved him until the end, and we still do. A statement from relatives of Lori Amber and Candace Duncan, the 31-year-old mom and her 6- and 10-year-old daughters that Honkin killed, lamented that their lives were taken while Honkins continued for 27 more years. I was going to say almost 30 years. Yes. This, is, this statement says, Their mother never got to see them having a first dance, first day, or walk down the aisle at their wedding. Finally, justice is being done. It will bring a sense of closure, but we will continue to live with their loss. However, this is a step toward healing of broken hearts and shattered lives. And a statement from the Department of Justice echoed the Duncan family sentiment that due process had been seen through. Mm -hmm. But his lawyer, Sean Noman, said for the appeals, 
said that Honkin had been redeemed and that he both recognized and repented for the crimes he had committed. He stated during his time in prison, he cared for, he, Dustin, cared for everyone he came into contact with, guards, counselors, medical staff, his fellow inmates, and his legal team. Over the years, he grew incredibly close to his family, becoming a true father from prison, Mm -hmm. son, brother, and friend, and that there was no reason for the government to kill him in haste or at all. Mm. So the executions that had been scheduled um, after the Department of Justice announced it was last year, he said, that would carry out capital punishment again, punishment again after 17 years. He said the defendants convicted of the most heinous crime should be subject to the sentence of death. So they're not, he doesn't feel like it's the most heinous. And, and let me explain why. So William Barr. Yes, please explain attorney, why, because this is heinous to okay, us. Okay, Attorney General William Barr says, we owe it to the victims of horrific crimes and to the families left behind to carry forward the sentence imposed by our justice system. Please note that this is not Charnel or my feelings regarding anything political. I'm giving you facts. Yeah. When the time of death was announced, Honkin, who was 52, he became the first Iowan in more than 50 years to be put to death in an Iowa case. Wow. In 1963, Victor Figer, who had Fugger, who had kidnapped and killed a Dubuque doctor, he was executed by hanging in an Iowa state penitentiary. So that's in 63. Then Iowa abolishes the death penalty, the state, in 1965. But remember, Honkin's convicted in federal court. Exactly. So like the other inmates that were put to death that week, and there were three that died that week, finally, after a very long hiatus, Honkin did appeal the sentence up until the last moments before his execution was scheduled at 3 p.m. Central Daylight Time that Friday. But unlike the two executed um, earlier that week, the other two executed, Honkin lacked the headline-grabbing, mitigating circumstances. So there's a gentleman who was executed that day named Louis Lee. His victim's family had requested that his sentence be reduced to life in prison. Mm. That his, the, victim's the victim's family. family. Yeah. In Perky, there's another man by the name of Perky who's executed. His lawyers asserted, they had asserted that dementia and schizophrenia meant he was not competent to be executed. So he had really significantly decompensated. Probably was an old man at this yeah. point in time. Mental health issues and dementia. Dustin didn't have any of that going for him to mitigate it other than a couple of, of priests and, and other religious people who feel like maybe he had found yeah. God, which is amazing. I'm great. That's right. great. I hope right. that he is so that he can come to terms and when right. he meets his maker. But that is not enough alone no. to to mitigate um, a, a death penalty sentence or turning over one. Yeah. So what they stated then in regard to Dustin, this is the U.S. Um, uh, district court there i'm sorry the finding from the federal judge there that did allow the uh uh, execution to happen and not enjoin it stated honkin has not demonstrated a likelihood of success on his claim that the 2019 protocol is arbitrary and capricious based on its failure to consider the risk of flash flash pulmonary edema regarding the use of lethal injection that was the only thing left that he could base his appeal on okay and and so and you know what happened and yeah. and he finally uh, his life was taken. So the victims' families. Let me talk to you about saying goodbye because we're going to end on something, while sad, at least um, more memorable. Okay. So tragically, however, Nicholson's children, mm-hmm. um, they had to end up waiting eight years until his body was found to claim his insurance. Okay, so oh, they wow. they waited that they waited that yeah. whole time and and are struggling. And again, whether we like Mark Nicholson or not for mm-hmm. bringing uh, the the Duncans into this, he had a family and he had kids. 
Oh, was so it Mark? I thought it was Greg. Greg. Yeah, Nicholson. Hey, why do I want to say Mark? I don't know. I think that's a different case. Probably. I think it is. <laughs> Greg Nicholson. Um, you're not going to love this. So okay. obviously, Duncan, she has her little girls. Yeah. Um, and they had different fathers. Okay. So little Candy, her dad was actually in a coma when she was killed. Oh, my God. So he woke up to learn that he would never hug his little girl, oh walk her down the no. aisle. Um, and he said it literally felt like having a body part removed. This yeah. was in court records. Yeah. Actually, a month before Dustin's original trial had started, um, the single mom and her two kids, Candy and Amber, they were buried again, this time in a real service once they released those bodies. Mm-hmm. But this time they were surrounded by love and light. They were placed together in a white casket. With more than 200 relatives, friends, and community members who were all weeping as Lisa Duncan's favorite song, Peace in the Valley by Elvis Presley, was played. Oh, yeah, you said she was an Elvis fan. At the grave site, um, Duncan, who was a veteran, as we stated, that always saw the good in people, she was honored with a 21-gun salute. Good. A ceremonially folded United States flag that was handed to her mother while taps was played. Good. In the years since their bodies were discovered, the little girl's grandma packed up the room that she had left mm-hmm. <laughs> untouched for all those years. All those years. Damn it, yeah. I'm choking up. Yeah, yeah. She said in the eulogy that she read uh, in at the funeral that she'd hung her children's, grandchildren's crayon drawings on her walls and allowed herself to imagine her little spitfire Amber badgering angels with lots of questions in heaven <laughs> while Candy tried to make her sister sit down and be good. <laughs> Brittany asked Ash, who was Amber's neighbor that she was playing with that day. This, so she's still a little girl, but seven years older than she was. Yeah. Gave the family a poem, her way of saying goodbye to the girl that she beat the heat with on those summer uh, days. Aww. She said, damn it, Charnel. <laughs> she, she did said, not say damn it, Charnel. Woo, Am- Megan, I can't look at you. Amber isn't just a color, the poem read. She was my best friend. Aww. Not one person mentioned Dustin Honkin. Good. So Good. there we go. Oh, I my Lord. My, I need to bathe myself. I got yes. some water in my eyes. I, None of it leaked, though. But no, it's, but, but it's, it's there. there, and I can't look at you when that's happening. And I know. I'm so sorry. Damn. So, I Drug king, kingpin of Iowa turned murderer. and I believe that there is a big book about him um, as well, and I know there there's, are, a, there there's all there kinds of television things. There are miniseries and things like that, and I'm going to tell you something else. I didn't quite finish it yet, but... I have another one to present to you that has some interesting tie-ins. And, okay. and I'll just surprise you when I, when okay. I do that one when later. When it's ready. He's a kingpin, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. So I think that Dustin probably can and potentially is linked to a lot more criminal activity than he was ever convicted of as well. Absolutely. So, Wow. Thank you for bringing this to light because I didn't know uh, any of that, really. Truly. I, that's... So oh. if we didn't indicate enough that drugs are bad, okay, mm-hmm. okay, okay, mm-hmm. um, I want to at least bathe you with some humorous things regarding drugs, Please like do. people sharing the quote unquote highest things they've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> the highest things I've ever done. Yeah. Okay. It's small, but I was so excited for a bowl of cereal after a smoking sash. Cereal hits different when you're high. Okay. I poured a big bowl of cinnamon toast crunch and ran to the fridge to grab milk. In my fog, I grabbed my Brita instead and poured water into the cereal bowl, and it was the end of it. Ruined my buzz. <laughs> water logged. 
Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Yeah. Oh, my God. These are great. My first year of college, my roommate and I decided to get stoned and watch Pineapple Express. Of, of course. course. <laughs> it literally <laughs> says that. <laughs> Ten minutes into the movie, my roommate turns to me with a confused look and said, why is it in German? Yep, we'd been watching the movie in a different language and neither one of us realized it. But then it took us another five minutes to realize it wasn't German, it was Spanish. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is a BuzzFeed article, by the way, if I didn't indicate that before. Uh, Kay Schultz 26 says, I thought my reflection in the mirror was someone looking at me and I just stared at it for a good 10 minutes and I thought they were mocking me by copying me. I couldn't even remember this happened until I looked at the security camera footage the next day. Oh, yeah. I, uh, Megan R., not me, <laughs> nope. says, I was, oh, lying. I was high lying in bed late at night eating McNuggets and watching Friends. Oh, be. my <laughs> God. That could be you, but not high. I couldn't actually hear any of the dialogue, just the laugh track. My husband was dying of laughter beside me. Ten years later, every time I watch Friends, he brings it up. Oh, M. Barrio says, I got really upset and I felt bad. My teeth had to chew my food and I couldn't eat it because it tasted so good, but I felt bad for my teeth. Empathy for your teeth. Yes. Oh, you know, sometimes I feel bad for my eyeballs for the things they have to see. I know. Like the lady's butt crack the other day at the grocery store. She had no idea when she bent over. There is three quarters of her ass. I should have apologized to my eyeballs in that moment. It's the jeans. They they don't cover. Charles, this is terrible. And you know I don't like reading stuff like this. Um, (laughs) Do you want me to read it for you? Are you okay? I'm going to be okay. Kimberly, with two Ys, says, while I was high... (laughs) My husband and I were discussing a certain sexual thing we wanted to try that required a sex implement that comes with a suction cup. Oh. I went online to order one. Okay. Apparently, in my intoxicated state, I failed to check the length. Nope. It arrived a few days later, and I opened the box and found a monstrous three-foot dong, which (laughs) was a tad long for our purpose. (laughs) Three-foot? They make them in three-foot? I, I, I got nothing. of a small child. I got nothing. I, have, I don't know. It's, I don't know. It has to be a conversation piece. It's used for decorative purposes only. Right. So this girl, Allison Possum, that's cool, says, I got in the shower and started shampooing my hair. I felt cold, so I turned and realized I never turned the water on. <laughs> Area Ravenclaw says, the last time I ate an edible, I got way too high and was lying on the couch next to my boyfriend. I told him I couldn't move, so he jokingly nudged me, and I rolled off the couch, landed on my face, and stayed there for two hours. <gasps> oh, my god! She was gosh. legit. Edibles are bad. Yeah, those will get you out here. Yeah, and, uh. and when some people buy their legal edibles, because I'm not going to be judgy, there is a serving size on it that you should follow. Is there? Yeah. Oh, good. First I'm of glad all, that there they is. They sell brownie in a brownie square, which a normal person would eat the thing of, and then it'll say on there like 10 servings. Like you're <gasps> supposed to take a bite of it, not eat the whole brownie. Oh Charnel. my God, I didn't know that. This is why kids are ODing and being taken to the hospital now for, oh, because of shit. this. And any of you that want to argue with me that you can't OD off of new marijuana, you're wrong. Yeah, right. You're wrong. You're I'm right. I won't wrong. argue, and I have proof. Yeah. Um, I was wow. in an elevator with multiple other people and I kept clicking the one button. But we <laughs> Is were on that where you were at? We were on the first floor. <laughs> okay, stop it, because <laughs> I've not been high and I've done, done that also. <laughs> you don't know whether you got one or ground floor yes. and you're like pressing. Yes, I know. I, I have. Know. I have. 
Gemma D says, I accidentally dropped a giant knob of butter on the open nope. dishwasher door oh and started no. wiping to clean it off. After five minutes, I realized I was just really digil- digil- diligently buttering the dishwater <laughs> like a baking tray. <laughs> yes. You're not doing anything. You're not. Oh, that's funny. Oh, this is, well, less the high. This is us. My friends and I stayed in a haunted hotel during Halloween. It probably wasn't the smartest idea to make pot brownies. No. Even no. less smart no. to eat another brownie when I didn't quote unquote feel anything 30 minutes after eating the first. Oh no. Yeah. I've heard that you, you can't, have, you've got to wait. You've got to wait. wait. Fast forward to me lying in bed high out of my mind when I felt someone sit down on my bed. I would hundred percent thought it was a ghost. So I squeezed my eyes shut really tight, pulled the blanket over my head and started crying. Go away, please go away. Until I heard my friend say, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> My friend that was sitting on the bed, I forgot she was in the room with me the whole time and thought <laughs> she was a ghost. Guys, why would you get high yep. in a haunted house? I don't know. Oh, that's funny. I, I got way too high and called my brother a PhD scientist and asked if the water I drank was the same water dinosaurs used to swim and pee in. Unfortunately, I left this as a voicemail, and it's there recorded forever, and I'm forever no. embarrassed. And he's going to keep it. Yes. Once I was so high, I called my boss to say that I'm sick and can't come into work today, but it was Saturday night and I had an eight to five Monday through Friday job, so oh, I didn't have to go to work anyway. God. Luckily, we both had a laugh. Good. Um, <laughs> I was once so high, I stopped at a stoplight that only changed when a car was there and triggered it. I waited and waited and I thought, OMG, what the fuck is wrong with the stoplight? I scooted forward a bit and nothing. What the fuck? Until I realized that I was walking home. And I was also on the sidewalk, standing next to a stop sign a block away. I was waiting for a stoplight on foot a block away from me. She's back at the stop sign. Oh, my God. There's a whole other block. But she sees the light, which she isn't triggering because she's a block away. away. (laughs) Holy crap. That is, you're gone. You're gone. And I'm going to leave you with munchies. For my munchie meal, once I went and ordered Chipotle, but also stopped at Sonic and got a corn dog. Mm-hmm. I stuffed that corn dog into my burrito and ate it. To this day, <laughs> it's the best meal I've ever eaten. I actually don't hate any of that. <laughs> no. I love both of those things. No, now I kind of want to try it. New recipe found here on Crime Curious. The things that you do when you are under the influence of anything, even alcohol. Oh, certain yeah. things like we said, Taco Bell, yeah. McDonald's, those things that I don't usually like to just eat, I'm mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to eat after a Of course, after a drink or a two. A bottle of mm-hmm. wine. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I say drink or two. Megan says bottle of wine. That's I get it. Three glasses, Charnel. True, true. <laughs> Four in some bigger bottles, I'm but totally, three. Yes. I'm oh, totally kidding. Lord. And also, if I did that, I would be hungover and have a terrible headache the next day because I just can't do that anymore. Yeah, no, we're getting so older. I my had friend. no alcohol yesterday, and I still woke up hungover. <laughs> oh, imagine that the ghosts of Saturday nights past. I got think, you I, this think it, I think it is. I just wake up some days and I think to myself, when is the last time you drank an alcohol last week? weekend and you're still feeling terrible right. like it's just that's my life so yeah it's not pleasant all right well uh i hope y'all enjoyed the two-parter we did we did thank you so much wonderful research as thank always you. when you have the ability to bring us cases we hang on every word and so i really appreciate that if you guys want to follow us on social media be, please feel free to do so join patreon in the link that's in the show notes the show notes are just that little note below this episode that you're listening to, you can hit, I think you hit a show more note, like 
button. It's different on all platforms, but it, they're there. Irrespective, you guys are smart, and we know that if you go there, you're going to find you're the right button to click. Yes. And if not, trial and error. And we're sorry if you accidentally download something from Sheen that you didn't want to order. <laughs> right. Timu, all of that it's stuff. It's better than Wish. If you, yeah, if you, um, would like to just go to Crime Curious, or no, no, well, that's our website, Crime Curious, Curious Podcast. Podcast yeah, absolutely. And you uploaded our ball picture I and did. we look fantastic. I, I did saw upload the, other the day. ball p- picture. And then, um, but you, if you can't find the show notes and the link for Patreon there, you can always just go to patreon.com forward slash Crime Curious and find us there as well to binge hundreds of extra content and episodes. So until then, everybody, keep it curious, keep listening. Bye bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.